0: Hi everyone, I'm Brene Brown and this is Unlocking Us. Welcome back, part two of my conversation with Chris Germer. If you haven't listened to part one, stop the episode, go listen to that and then come back here because part one's really important. You gotta do these in order. It's like a good mystery novel. In the second part, I'm going to ask some tough questions. Can anger exist with fierce compassion? Can inner and outer transformation happen at the same time? And then, of course, like my softball question, what is the wisdom exactly? And, of course, he has an answer, which is, like, so great. I'm glad you're here with us. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Support for this episode comes from Viator.
1: One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.
0: All right, before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Christopher Germer, clinical psychologist and co-developer with Kristen Neff of the Mindful Self-Compassion Program that's been taught to over 200,000 people. He's also the author of a very popular book that I love, The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion compassion, and co-author, also with Kristen Neff, of the professional textbook, Teaching the Mindful Self-Compassion Program and the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. He is a lecturer on psychiatry part-time at Harvard Medical School. He's been integrating the principles and practices of meditation into psychotherapy since 1978. He co-edited two influential volumes, Mindfulness and Psychotherapy and Wisdom and Compassion in Psychotherapy. And he is a founding faculty member of both the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy and the Center for Mindfulness and Compassion, the Cambridge Health Alliance Harvard Medical School. Right now, he divides his time between teaching, writing, clinical practice, and consulting on self-compassion research and supporting the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. He maintains a small private practice in Cambridge, specializing in mindfulness and compassion-based psychotherapy. He is also a committed student of Insight Meditation and co-director of the annual Meditation and Psychotherapy Conference at Harvard Medical School, Cambridge Health Alliance. Let's jump in. All right. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you for having me back. Man. You opened doors for me. You put me on an elevator that had to rise up past the near enemy floor, which is not always easy. And we're back to this conversation about fierce compassion, which I think so many of us are trying to figure out right now when there's so much pain and hurt in the world and we want to be a voice We want to speak up and speak out. We want to take action. And we want to do so from a place where we are healing pain, not causing more pain. But I'm not sure that's our default as humans. Do you think that's our default as humans? Do you think it's just human nature, social species stuff to struggle with how to respond to pain and hurt without causing more pain and hurt? without self-protecting and distancing. Do you think some of that's just about being human?
1: Uh, yes, I do think that it's very human. And I also think that we are better than that.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> both things are true. There is some human instinct there, but we're also oh, better yeah. than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, that was your answer. <laughs> that was good. So we talked about fierce compassion on the last episode, and we talked about Kristen Neff's work, and we're both big fans of Kristen Neff. And we talked about kind of when you talk about fierce compassion, the far enemies are, and let's set it up. You've witnessed an injustice. You're outraged about something that seems immoral and hurtful. And the far enemies of fierce compassion are emotional reactivity, demonizing or dehumanizing, and hostility.
1: Yeah, that comes very easily. It's very instinctive because when we feel threatened, we feel fight-flight-freeze, the threat response gets triggered, and very easily we slip into reactivity, demonizing, and hostility. Yeah, that's true.
0: One thing that was really hard for me to think about personally is I can definitely slip into these things around social justice issues, equity issues. But I can slip into these things when someone does something to my kid that pisses me off. And then what I'm modeling for my child when I'm like, what? What do you mean that she said that to you? And she has no idea what she's doing. I don't even know how she became a teacher. And I mean, all of a sudden, emotional reactivity, demonizing, hostility. (laughs) Right?
1: Yep. Yeah. But, you know, your kid may also forgive you your excesses because your child knows where it's coming from. (laughs)
0: Yes, it's kind of like I have a very clear sport mode, but I do not have a very clear Buddhist mode in those moments. Like I just go into sport mode. Yeah, and I so, don't think
1: that. I don't. Th- I think Buddhists go into sport mode though. You do? <laughs> oh, I've met enough to say yeah, they go into sport mode as well.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that even more. Yes. Okay, that is so yeah. helpful. Yeah. So then, the near enemy. Of fierce compassion, which is we talked about in the first episode, where love and suffering come together, Mm. is instead of emotional reactivity, we're just complacent, Mm. like. "Mm." And then instead of demonizing and dehumanizing, we go to sameness. Yeah. And then we, instead of kindness, we go to pity. Yeah. Yeah. So what we're looking for. In Fierce Compassion, I want to make sure I've got this right, is kindness, both self-kindness and to others, a sense of common humanity, and a sense of mindfulness.
1: Yeah, so another way of thinking about that in the social justice area is to be wise or to have kind of a balanced awareness about what's going on and ready to act, not complacent. Also in the social justice area, common humanity in the realization that we're all different, yet what each of us do has an impact on everyone's life, including our own. And lastly, in terms of kindness, to recognize that anything that we do for another person, if it's not done, with an awareness of the, really the sacredness or the value, the preciousness of whomever it is that we're trying to help is only going to hurt them, you know? Mm. So really what the thread that really holds all this together, in my view, is the common humanity thread.
0: It's interesting. So we talk a lot about... Kind of those, everyone that we take through our Dare to Lead program or the Daring Way program goes to selfcompassion.org, Kristen's website, and takes the evaluation on self compassion. People really struggle the most with self kindness and common humanity. Mm. And as a shame researcher, it makes sense to me because shame is the most effective when it convinces you that you're alone.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: You know? Mm. And so I love what you said about. Taking wise and compassionate action. Yeah. This is what you write in this article that, again, if you miss the first part, I told Chris I had to walk away from it like three times. Because I thought in my dualistic thinking sometimes that I have. I don't know. There was something in me when I was reading this article that... I was in a season of my activism where I had to stop because I couldn't tolerate my own level of assholeness.
1: Well, I love your honesty. It's true. <laughs> I think whenever anybody with white skin who's in the social justice space can say what you said, we are 10 steps ahead of the game. <laughs> Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take like my mm. moral outrage and then being mm. exhausted by it and then switching mm. over to complacency and yeah. then thinking about, wow, the privilege of being complacent because I'm tired, you know, it's like yeah. I couldn't figure out how yeah. to find a way mm-hmm. to fight for what I believe in, yeah. in a way that's sustaining
1: yeah,
0: and also matches my personal commitment, which is about mm. love mm and excavating lovelessness in myself and the world. Mm, mm. And so the moment I started using lovelessness as Mm. the fuel for Mm. my activism, something Mm. felt broken. Mm. It just felt broken. Mm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well,
1: I just so appreciate what you're saying, which is we need to work on ourselves and the system, unjust systems that we live in at the same time. Because if we don't, get our individual act together, we can create the most glorious systems and they're not sustainable. In other Mm -hmm. words, our hearts and minds need to be in a place that can sustain these good systems even if we are able to create them. So, And frankly, I think along the way to a more perfect world or a better world anyway, the best way we can make progress in that regard is to continue to work on ourselves. So you're really making a really nice case for inner and outer transformation necessary to happen at the same time. Mm -hmm. In other words, I think we really do need a balance to work on ourselves and do social justice work at the same time. I think it has to happen simultaneously or it's going to get lopsided and it's going to feel loveless, as you said. And frankly, we're going to burn out. This is the bottom line. You know, a lot of people ask, so what's the best antidote to burnout? Or compassion fatigue, it's self-compassion. We need to be able to take care of ourselves. We need to nurture ourselves. And frankly, we need to grow as individuals if we want to grow the world around us. So anyhow, I I just really appreciate that you have that integrated vision, Renee.
0: Yeah, integration and discernment are my things that I'm working on right now. And I (laughs) love integration because I love that the Latin word for integration is integrare, and it means Mm. to make whole. Ah, sweet. Isn't that nice? Mm. That is very nice. Okay, I do need some help from you. I need you to validate something for me. Mm. Am I allowed to engage and come from a place of fierce compassion and get really pissed off sometimes? (laughs) Oh, that's a very
1: interesting question. (laughs) I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you should really be interviewing Kristen on this since Kristen Neff, because she's spent a lot more time thinking about this. But one thing that we both agree on, uh, very much so, is that anger, like any emotions, you say this all the time yourself, it's information. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean because we're angry that it's more correct or incorrect. It's just information. And so the issue is not what emotion we have, but how we're holding that emotion and what we can learn from the emotion, right? Right? So anger naturally arises when there's unfairness, when there's injustice, when we feel threatened. Anger is such an interesting emotion, right? David White, Mm. I think he describes anger as a, have you heard that, as a compassionate emotion? He said, because when we're angry, we're actually protecting something that is so deep and so near to us, That we just don't have a better way of holding it or protecting it other than being just angry. So it's beautiful. The amazing thing about anger is that it points to something really deep, like our core values, that is also endangered and also a place of, as you would probably have already said a million times is a place of vulnerability, right? So mm-hmm. anger anger is a function, which is actually protecting something sacred if we have the courage to go into that place, you know, into that place of deepest meaning and also into that place of brokenness. When we're in the social justice field, we have to enter into a place of brokenness we 're broken this cultural systems are breaking. so what is anger? Anger is protective you know it's protective, but if we don't have the capacity to see deeply, if we can't get to those broken places, if we can't get to those core values to what is sacred to us and hold them and protect them, then what's going to happen is we're not going to behave wisely. We're just going to react on the surface with our anger and cause more pain and suffering. So I think anger is energy and anger is information. The energy side of anger is also brilliant. Brilliant, you know. It mobilizes us, Mm -hmm potentially for goodness. However, we need to apply it wisely, wisely. So how do we temper anger with wisdom? That's a really important question. How do we do that? And I know Mahatma Gandhi was often asked about this. And what he says basically is he definitely knows anger. He can feel anger and he even... He used the energy of anger in order to basically liberate a subcontinent from colonial domination. But by the time it came out, it didn't come out in violence. It came out in nonviolence. It came out in a transformative, wise action. And ultimately, I think this is our challenge, which is to, when we get angry, to be able to validate it, to be able to feel it, to know what it is that we're protecting, and then to find wise and effective ways of protecting those sacred things that need protecting without causing further harm.
0: that's really beautiful and true. And you don't see any successful social justice movements without anger, and you don't see any successful social justice movements without wisdom.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And so anger seems to be like a great, powerful, like you said, brilliant catalyst. But in our work, we always say, but it's a sucky life companion.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. It's a catalyst, but it's a lousy companion. That's great.
0: (laughs) What is wisdom?
1: Well, uh, there's like an Eastern version. There's a Western version. In the East, wisdom refers to... Insight into complexity, into the interdependence of all things, mm. which means also into our own selflessness, that who Brené is or who Chris is, is really a combination of an infinite variety of intersecting forces. There's not a, a rigid Brené or Chris anywhere to be found. She's changing, Chris is changing, we're all changing. So wisdom is really this awareness of interdependence in the East. And in the West, usually people say, oh, that's a wise person because there's this pragmatic aspect of being able to not only see kind of all the complexity of the situation, but to find your way through, you know, how to like get stuff done in a way <laughs> that is effective, you know? Yeah. So in my view, a really nice definition of wisdom is really a combination of both. One is that we can see the complexity of things and also find our way through and without a doubt whenever we are going to do something you know like sometimes people say okay now that i've got the fire of compassion burning in my heart what do i do about my you know uh rotten i don't know someone how do i fix that person or that thing and the answer mm. is i can't tell you you got to figure that out Anytime we're going to do something, it really depends on the conditions at that moment, which includes who's doing it and when and with whom and so forth. So ultimately, we can't act without wisdom. We need to know
0: what's going on. (laughs) I feel lucky that you're sharing your wisdom with us today because I do feel like it is a combination of interdependence, but also helping us find a way through. I feel very grateful for that. Yeah. I do. Thanks.
1: Thanks. Yeah.
0: All right. Speaking of wisdom, are you ready for some rapid fire questions, which is the opposite of wisdom probably?
1: <laughs> <laughs> have a little fun. I have yeah. a little fun together, every day Yeah. <laughs> Going okay. to fun mode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Fill in the blank for me. Vulnerability is?
1: Ah, is the uh, fluttering of the human heart.
0: <laughs> oh <my God>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking I'm looking at Barrett. We're both like, so good. Okay, you, Chris, are called to be very brave, but your fear is real. You can taste it in your mouth. You can feel it in the back of your throat. What is the very first thing you do?
1: Oh, I felt anxious before talking in this, <laughs> this interview because I admire you so much. We haven't met. I was really hoping, oh, I hope it goes well. And, you know, I didn't realize you were quite so delightful. <laughs> I mean, I've I've read your books and they're fabulous, but in person you're even better. So so what did I do prior to this? I uh I just um I dropped into my heart and oh, I just felt the love that was there and thought, "Oh, let's make some room for this." And that's what happened. <laughs> yeah.
0: When you say you drop <laughs> into your heart, are you dropping in uh, from your head?
1: Yeah, I drop down into the the, the heart, uh, the spiritual heart, you know, the in the heart region of the body where our deepest intentions and wishes and knowing takes place, you know.
0: Beautiful. Okay, what is the last television show that you binged and loved? at uh, Ted Lasso. So good, right? <laughs> so good, yeah. <laughs> so
1: good. I'm just looking forward to the next series, the next. Me show. too. Uh, yeah.
0: They're holding out it's on a us. It's a compassion show, you know, it's all compassion, right? It is very much a <laughs> yeah. compassion show. Mm, yeah. Tell us your favorite movie.
1: Oh, my favorite movie. Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, there's just so many Films that come through my mind—they're like fun ones and
0: <laughs> one that you watch, whatever it's on.
1: Oh, I don't tend to watch movies more than once.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I we were thinking about Gandhi just a few moments ago, and I sure did love that film. <laughs> if I need to say some film, but oh, I, there's just so we'll many. We'll just leave problems. it open. We'll just
0: say too many yeah. to name. Okay. <laughs> What about a concert that you'll never forget?
1: A concert I'll never forget. Well, in 1970, I went to a Grateful Dead concert and that was a hoot. (laughs) (laughs) I probably never forget it.
0: That's one. (laughs) That's perfect. What's your favorite meal?
1: Well, I can tell you, my favorite ingredients are grits. <laughs> Even though I was born and raised in the Northeast,
0: you're a Southern boy. Well,
1: my wife's from uh, Louisiana, you know, but I eat more grits than she does. <laughs> I love grits. I love avocados, and uh, I like uh, I like anything that's uh, fresh.
0: Yeah. Fresh. <laughs> grits, I would have never guessed grits. I love grits. <laughs> Do you put salt and butter on them?
1: Well, there are many ways of making grits. Sometimes I put salt and butter. sometimes I put in spinach. sometimes I will add uh, nuts and maple syrup mm. and uh, <laughs> and raisins.
0: it's uh, it's a miracle food. <laughs> <laughs> it is a miracle food. Take that everybody who does not eat grits. Yeah. you heard it right here. Okay a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you joy?
1: Uh, I love to sit on the back porch and look at my wife's beautiful garden, which is a cascade of color. Mm. Uh, That's an ordinary moment, which I enjoy. And frankly, I love to meditate You know, it's such a joy to wake up in the morning and sit down and just uh, go home, you know, (laughs) go home in in the heart. Wow. Yeah. And these are, those are more individual things. I have to say my sweetest moment of the day is at the end of the day, this is a rather personal thing, but at the end of the day, when my wife puts her head on my shoulder, (laughs) I I think I could die right then and I'll be perfectly at peace.
0: (laughs) Wow, that is a moment to be grateful for. Yeah, Yeah. it gave me shivers. Okay, we asked for five songs that you can't live without. I'm going to read them to you. (laughs) Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Mm -hmm. All Along the Watchtower, the original version by Bob Dylan, and then the later version by Jimi Hendrix. You may have to help me with this one. Rade Govinda. How do, mm-hmm. how do you say it? You said it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Krishna Das. Yeah. Did I say it? You said it. <laughs> okay. Lake Charles by Lucinda Williams. You like grits and Lucinda and Williams. Lucinda
1: Williams. It's the truth.
0: <laughs> oh my God. You are such a Southern guy. Such okay. A and Southern then,
1: guy.
0: then White Rabbit. By, I, I only knew there was a Gray Slick version. Oh, but, and the bluegrass version by Molly Tuttle. I mean, come on. It's
1: fabulous. Come
0: yeah.
1: on. I need to okay. move to the South. Is that what you're saying?
0: I'm just saying that we got a lot of grits. We got a lot of bluegrass.
1: Hey, there's all that happening. And we got yeah. a
0: lot of Lucinda Williams. Okay. In one sentence, yeah. what does this mixtape say about you, Chris.
1: Yeah, uh, what I like, what really like, deeply moves me is compassion in the trenches, you know, gritty oh. spirituality. Leonard Cohen, you know, it's about mm. being beautiful and broken, mm-hmm. you know. Lucinda Williams is such a soulful singer, and you get the feeling of vulnerability and brokenness at every mm-hmm. moment. And And yet uh, kind of a, the whole thing is wrapped in compassion, you know, and her dad even wrote a beautiful poem called Compassion. So all these pieces, definitely the Indian kirtan, those devotional songs to God, this is, there's this quality of compassion and devotion and, and love, but not in a transcendent way in an anchored way in a real way in a gritty way and like on the ground way which is frankly where it it just has power and I just feel deeply moved by it same with the blues I love the blues
0: oh god me too
1: I just couldn't think of a good blues song but it's the same kind of thing you know it's like our feet are in the mud but that's not ultimately where we live you know (laughs) as human beings we are bigger than any of our suffering and and I like to be reminded of that in music
0: beautiful God this is so beautiful I have enjoyed every minute thank you so (laughs) much for being on Unlocking Us Uh,
1: thank you Renee it's it's such a delight spending time with you
0: I feel Mm. the same way hope y'all enjoyed both part one and part two of this conversation with chris germer i just think he's so calming right and i love to know that the buddhists have sport mode as well i don't know it was super helpful for me very timely you can learn all about his work all about him and find his books and find out more about the mindfulness self-compassion program on com. just go to podcast unlocking us and then you'll see the one with him Y'all stay awkward, brave, and kind. Unlocking Us is produced by Brene Brown Education and Research Group. The music is by Carrie Rodriguez and Gina Chavez. Get new episodes as soon as they're published by following Unlocking Us on your favorite podcast app. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more award-winning shows at podcast.voxmedia.com.